Welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and this is the podcast that digs into all the exciting games that Warlord has put out for us to play. And Warlord has really been on a roll recently with their epic range of miniatures, really bringing those giant epic conflicts onto the tabletop by taking the black powder rules and using them with a very small scale model, allowing for just legions of troops on the tabletop. Of course, we had the American Civil War kit before. We've talked about that on previous episodes. We've even talked a little bit about the actual Napoleonic era and the battles around Waterloo a little bit. But today we have a really cool expansion to those game systems and those releases with a brand new campaign book. It is called The Hundred Days campaign system and it goes along with black powder epic and joining me today is the author adrian mcwalter who in the past has written other black powder releases that you might know as albion triumphant both volume one and two and a clash of eagles ad welcome to the warlord cast man how are you doing today i'm really good brad thank you for having me on really Uh, good thank you mate it is it is awesome to have you on because the epic range has just been fantastic. Now, you have obviously been playing Black Powder and been attached to the Black Powder game and community for far longer than the smaller scale models because you, of course, wrote many expansions. We just mentioned them a minute ago for the 28 millimeter version of Black Powder as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about maybe your history with Black Powder and then maybe how do you find the jumping to smaller scale models? How does that work for you as a Black Powder player? Well, to start off with, Brad, what I'd say is I absolutely love Black Powder. It's 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 a, it really easy to get to get to know the rules. Mm-hmm. They're very simple. Um, so people that don't know the rules at all can come and play the game. I've introduced a lot of my friends who've never played um, Black Powder or Napoleonics uh, to Black Powder rules, and they've really got on with them. So, so you've got some hardcore fantasy players or World War II players who've, who've looked at Black Powder and seen how easy it is to play uh, and really jumped onto it. Now, compared with the 28 mil to um, the Epic range, um, all I'd say is what it does, it allows you to scale up your games so you can actually play larger games on on the same surface area. It's for normal people, normal people, for for most gamers, <laughs> exactly. it's a six foot four t- table or an eight by four table. Certainly, that's my experience. So what it does, it allows the epic the epic scale. It allows you to get more figures on the table, and it, and it looks absolutely brilliant, especially if the figures are painted. I know a lot of people at the moment are playing with uh, the, the red and the blue, mm-hmm. uh, the red for the British, the blue for the French, uh, getting their armies painted, and it still looks absolutely fantastic. So that, that's that's my experience of black powder i love i love the, the game itself um but i also the 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 epic range has actually re-inspired my enthusiasm for napoleonics and for black powder to be honest yeah and black powder is a really cool game system in that it scales really easily it's it's almost designed to do that where whereas other game systems if you were to radically change the scale and the size of the battles that you're playing on the tabletop they might get maybe a tad clunky, but Black Powder doesn't have that. It was designed to be played at a larger scale, so you really can play out these massive conflicts and have it not take a week. 
No, I totally agree. What, what what the Epic Scale does, it actually releases black powder into what Rick, I think, really uh, wanted in the first place, which was large sweeping battles. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and when when that when the game was designed, I think that's how it was played uh, for for most people. Um, you know, playing on a six four by four table, you can't really get the whole uh, experience out of black powder. But when when you when you introduce epic figures, what you can do is get that real experience that I think Rick wanted when he wrote wrote the, the game in in its first instance. Yeah, exactly right. And it just takes me back, especially the epic scale, to having grown up in Boston and being to many museums. Uh, around uh, with a father as a history professor, I, I did hit every historical battlefield across the world. But going to Gettysburg, going to the Battle of Bunker Hill Memorial, going to a number of these museums and seeing those dioramas uh, and those those miniature battle scene that are at all of these museums and seeing the paintings of the battles that took place and looking at the troops, looking at those tiny little soldiers and the, the little puffs of cotton on the tabletop and seeing these battles as a child was just so evocative and it was just so exciting to look at and to now be able to actually play those battles out almost as if you're able to walk into the museum and push those soldiers around the table is really exciting. That's, a, that's exactly right. And that's how I got into Wargaming. I walked in, I was 11 year old, and I walked into my local library, and, and a War Games club were playing uh, a Napoleonic game, and I was instantly hooked. Yeah. And so, so for me, it's seeing things like that, going, going to uh, museums and seeing uh, battlescapes and battle scenes, um, which, which you can now sort of recreate using Epic Scale, is for, is for me fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about this book because we could talk about Black Powder in in general all day, but people want to hear about The Hundred Days, which is the new campaign book. Now, this details the conflict post-Napoleon's exit from Elba, where he was, the the French sent soldiers to arrest him. Um, They actually then flocked to his banner, and then he took that as a rallying call and brought more French troops to him. The rest of the nations that were uh, discussing where to go after the previous Napoleonic conflicts dropped what they were doing, stopped the arguing, and turned and tried to capture Napoleon. And Napoleon knew that he had to face the Prussians and the English at the same time. Now, he outnumbered each, each force individually, but collectively they had him. And he had to sort of, how was he going to get out of this situation? And the Battle of Waterloo is just one of those fantastic, epic conflicts that we as gamers just love to learn more about all the time. And I'm sure there are people who are arguing with my very short summation. Um, And I won't get into the battle specifics, but this book sort of digs into that conflict. It it definitely does. It it starts um, with scenarios um, that's on the 15th of June, 1815, when the French army um, crosses the River Sambre and holds a central position, basically trying to split the the Anglo-Netherland army uh, and the the Prussians apart so Napoleon can uh, defeat those in detail, so so he can deal with one uh, one and then the other army, Mm -hmm. um, rather than the two two, um, allied armies joining together to de- defeat him. Uh, 
uh, obviously eventually yeah, that's what happened and he was defeated at Waterloo but the um, the 100 days supplement starts on the 15th of June uh, with um, a, a sharp action at a village called Thwin um, and then moves uh, right through to the uh, the last battle on the uh, 2nd and 3rd of uh, July um, at Issei um, where the, the the last cavalry charge of the Napoleonic Wars occurred by some Polish lancers, um, and involved in that, or sort of should I say, from the first point to the last point, there's actually 18 scenarios in the book. Wow, uh, some people brilliant. think you know that um, Waterloo, sorry, the uh, the 1815 campaign finished on the 18th of June. It didn't. There were lots of actions after it, and the uh, the supplement covers those. Um, the the other thing about it as well is there's there's more actually more games involving the Prussians than there are the British, uh, which uh, some people may uh, may engage with. Yeah, now that's interesting because I, while I knew the Prussians were involved, I guess mainly because of my history and my understanding of it was I always knew more about the British side of things. Can you talk about how each of those armies? If someone had a British force, clearly there are still plenty of scenarios to be played out um, using this book. All day long, yeah. There's, there's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of action um, involved with the, the, the British. Um, there's um, uh, the Battle of Quatre Bras, uh, mm -hmm. which is on the 16th of June, uh, which involves British, but also um, Dutch and German forces. There's cavalry action of Genappe which um, is involving British. Then there's the, the, the Day of Waterloo, which involves Hugomont, La Haye-Saint, and, uh, and other such games. And then we move basically into uh, the Prussian um, games. So that, that, that's sort of the, the, the post-Waterloo towards um, the end of the, 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 the campaign. But yeah, you, you, what you can do as well is um, although the games are set out with Prussian versus uh, French or British versus French, you can actually swap the swap the the, the armies around mm -hmm. and play the scenarios using the uh, the the opposite armies, as it were. Yeah, that's cool. Now, this book has more than just scenarios, though, because we also have some new units uh, and rules, right? That's exactly right. Yep, um, we've got uh, some rules around um, what the French um, would do. Would combine their their elite units, sorry, their elite companies, should I say, mm -hmm. into uh, elite units. So we've got some new rules for combined grenadiers and combined voltigeurs. So the grenadiers are the the hard fighting uh, men that are quite tall, and then you combine voltigeurs there, you you, you, you skirmishers that um, you know the, the smaller men but are more nimble. And then we've got um, engineers of the guard. So uh, at the Battle of Waterloo, there were 219 men that were a combined unit of uh, engineers and marines, um, and they uh, actually uh, fought well during um, the, the 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 battles leading up to Waterloo. They fought at Ligny and helped um, capture that uh, village. But uh, during the, uh, the the battle itself, at the Battle of Waterloo, the remainders are sort of rear guard and didn't see much action. But uh, there's rules for engineers in the in the book as well. You have talked a fair bit about some of the scenarios in the book. Of course, you haven't covered all 18. That would be a mammoth undertaking. But there are also what-if scenarios uh, that sort of branch off if you want to take history in a new direction. 
That's right. Um, one of the one of the the, the, the crazy things about the uh, the campaign was uh, there was a whole corps, one of the, the largest corps in the French army, led by um, General Division of D'Erlon. Um, it was the first corps, and basically on the 16th of June, he spent the whole day marching between the battlefields of Quatrebras and Ligny, and not appearing at either. Um, so the, the first couple of scenarios is uh, what if if what his corps actually turned up at one of those battles and see how that see how that turns out um and then we've also got a um when the, the, the french fled the field on late evening of the 18th of june um they actually uh, didn't um have a rear guard as it were as such that could hold the the, the prussian sort of forces uh, following them up and one of the scenarios is what happens if the, the French actually held them uh, or stood at the uh, the village of Quatrebras uh, and, tried, and tried to fight the Prussians off. So we've got some, um, you know, some fantastic games that people can do some what-ifs with uh, in the supplements as well. And alongside this book, we're also seeing the release of some fantastic miniatures that really do bring some individuality and character to the general releases that we've seen with some of the larger boxes. One of the exciting things about these kits in Epic Scale is that everything in them, as you said, the, the red and the blue plastics are just that, plastic. They're not metal. They're not resin. And so you get the dependability of a harder plastic that gives you the great detail that you're able to paint and see on the tabletop, but also you get the lower cost because you're able to mass produce it in plastic, which has we have seen with the previous releases. What's exciting is now we are getting, with this book, the release of both British and Allied commanders and French commanders, and we're also getting packaged. Now, you can get these all separately, but you can also go to the Warlord website, and they have everything packaged up at a discount, and you can also get the casualty markers, which is something we haven't seen before. How good is it to have these commander models to add to the additional forces to really bring those scenarios to life? Well, I actually went down to Warlord Games yesterday, and I've seen the, the commander models. It, it, they're absolutely fantastic. I've written some rules for them, which brings them to life. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the figures themselves are fantastic. And another, the other, the, you're right. The additionality of having the um, the casualty markers, that you, so you can easily, rather than having a piece, a, a dice or something mm -hmm. like that, you can have something that's you know represents the 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 actual casualties that are inflicted on your units that, that blends into the game. For me, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. It just takes me back to those massive dioramas in movies, uh, sorry, not movies, in museums uh, across the world where you just see all of the fallen warriors around the blocks of troops moving around the battlefield. It is, as you say, way more evocative than a die sitting next to the unit, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they really fit in. So I saw them yesterday. Um, obviously, I've seen them on on uh, the internet, but seeing them in, in real life, as it were, it's, 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 for me, they're definitely, I'm getting some of those. Now, I always ask uh, when I have guests on to talk about campaign books for various game systems, clearly you have to be passionate about the, the Napoleonic Wars in general. We've talked about that. But within the context of this book, 
authors always have a favorite part of the conflict that maybe drew them to this in the first place. Is there a particular scenario or part of the conflict that you that really rings true for you that you were really excited to write about in this book? Yeah, and that, that's the Battle of Ligny um, on the uh, 16th of June, mm-hmm. uh, 1815, and it's the Prussians versus the French. And, 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 and it, 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 people really need, if they're into Napoleonics, read about that battle because the savagery of that battle is is incomprehensible. Um, it, the, 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 the people that were there um, have obviously left their memoirs around that battle. And then the people think that Napoleonics is about you know, infantry units lined up and cavalry charges. Mm-hmm. This was absolutely savage, uh, you know, and, and, and in terms of warfare, gets to its base level. Uh, so for me, writing about that and really digging into it was, you know, it was really good. Well, my favorite, of course, is the conflict around Hougamont. Um, is that covered in here? Because that, again, was a very close-fought, close-combat, savage battle, part of the battle. Oh, absolutely. Um, Hougamont, it was supposed to be actually a, a sort of a, delay, a feint where mm-hmm. uh, Napoleon wanted um, the, the, the it, some of his soldiers to actually just keep the British engaged there so that Wellington would move some of his forces mm-hmm. to um, from his ridge to actually support Hougamont. Um, and now he did, but uh, he didn't do it in the, the numbers that uh, Napoleon thought he would do. So um, actually the battle around Hougamont was the first uh, place that the, the British and the, the French started fighting, and it continued all day. Um, it's absolutely savage fighting. Um, the French got in uh, the, the buildings uh, on one occasion. However, the people that got in there um, were actually, um, I think, about 30 or 40 Frenchmen, uh, managed to get break in, but actually were um, they were all killed in action, apart from uh, one uh, drummer boy who was left alive. Yeah, savage, because, again, uh, Napoleon wanted the British to commit more reserves so then he could then drive the mainstay of his force right up the middle. Uh, But that just didn't happen. And I did read a quote that said um, that that was one of the moments that sealed the battle um, was was the conflict around that farmhouse and uh, the gates that were forced open and then closed again and the British held. Exactly, and and you know, I think the French in total, well, I mean, in total, around thirteen thousand troops were committed to that action uh, on that part of the battlefield where the British, and I say British, there were other the German um, troops as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually they numbered in the region of about two thousand. So you know, the comparison, and, and I know that obviously um, the Allies were, were were sat in a defended uh, position, but. Um, from what was supposed to be a, a distraction, um, the committee 13,000 troops on the day um, by uh, Napoleon's subordinates was a bit of a mistake, I believe. Yeah, exactly. That's a hell of a distraction, and clearly it uh, took more resources than uh, that were needed elsewhere. Can you tell us about the orders of battle? Because I understand that's in this book as well. Yeah, I mean, in my previous books, what I've written is, is army lists, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we evolve as as gamers, and 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 this is something quite new. In that, what I've done is I've created an army list, but they're not actually the army list. They're orders of battle, and what what I've done is the actual corps, divisions, and brigades of each army is is recorded, um, but not in a, just a, a sort of Wikipedia type uh, manner. That actually it's, it's put into a, a context that the gamer can understand. So it shows you uh, what the unit is. It names the unit, gives the commanders of each unit, but it also says uh, what that unit is in terms of is it French light infantry or French line infantry, how many stands it has, uh, so that people can actually gather it's a sort of a go-to um, list so that people can collect a force and know that it's historically accurate. And what then the, you can do is with your gaming friends is you can play your your first core, uh, French first core versus the British first core, or you can play play the French third division versus the British fifth division. Um, so it makes easy it makes it easier for people to collect an army. So that's um, one of the things that uh, for me. Uh, stands out in the book and when people have seen uh, that section they've gone look we really like what you've done there so I'm really happy with that yeah I mean to be perfectly frank that's one of the things that as a layman who while passionate about many of the conflicts that we talk about uh, in warlord games and on the warlord games podcast Napoleonics can be a little intimidating and having tried to read about some conflicts in the past and then try and figure out how that plays out on a tabletop I've had trouble, and this sounds like a wonderful resource to help folks make that transition from, you know, what was on the battlefield in history to what's on your tabletop to being able to play some games with some friends. And and, and that's what I love about this supplement in in that some of my friends who are hardened fantasy players or hardened World War II players Mm -hmm. have looked at this supplement and helped me devise this supplement book gone that that's an easy gateway the orders of battle are an easy gateway for me to collect an army uh whereas in the past you know some people have not been able to grasp um th- that sort of concept so um i'm really really uh, pleased with how that's uh, that's gone and i have to ask if you were to pick your side if we were to sit down across the tabletop who would you be playing the french or the allies I'll be playing the Allies, and I'll be playing... Well, I'm actually collecting... Uh, I was talking to John and Paul yesterday. I'm collecting the second and third divisions of the Netherlands Army. So, uh, And then I'm going to go on to some Brunswickers. Uh, so that's that's my... Because I've got... In 28 mil, I've got British and I've got French. Um, so I, I want to do something different, and that's what I'm doing. I'm doing some Belgians and some Dutch, uh, and then I'm going to go on to some Brunswickers. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this all day, but I just wanted our listeners to get a quick overview of this awesome new expansion because it really does add a ton of value uh, to those of us who are interested in the Epic Conflicts Black Powder game because, as you say, it really does open up the game uh, for game people like me and it really adds new scenarios, new details, uh, new rules for existing gamers for that system it's just a great book. Mate, thank you so much for making the time for coming on. It has just been fantastic talking to you today. Thank you. No, thank you, Brad. Thank you for inviting me on. I've absolutely loved talking about it and talking to you. Thank you. And thank you to the listener, you, uh, for joining us today. 
We've heard that we would that you, the listener, would like shorter, sharper episodes for the Warlord Games podcast. So for the next couple of episodes, we are going to be trialing a new shorter format or longer episodes with shorter segments within each. We would like your feedback, though, as you, the listener. If you can contact the Cast Dice Facebook page on Facebook, because it is the umbrella podcast network that this podcast appears on, and if you message that page, um, you'll get a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad, and I would love to hear your thoughts on the shorter, sharper uh, episode format that we are trialing with this show. If you have an idea for any other game systems that you would like us to revisit or would like us to cover if they are new that Warlord puts out, we would love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening to the Warlord Games official podcast. Good night.